Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 6. And the last time we were in the parable of the vineyard and God would speak through his prophets. He would tell them what to say and they would speak to the people. It wasn't always received well. Um, this was one of those occasions. Uh, the prophet would speak openly. He would preach. And unfortunately, the people at the time in Judah were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They didn't listen. So Isaiah tries another approach. He espouses a parable. He sings it at times. And Jesus picks this up in the New Testament in Matthew 21. And it just shows that in any culture, you know, God has provided us with so many things. And the tendency towards mankind, sinful mankind, is to, is to pull away from God, is to rebel against God. Um, and that's unfortunate. There were some consequences for the Judahites at the time. And, um, you know, look, at we could see our society today. I was just talking with my ushers. I pray with my ushers in the morning. And, um, you know, the thing with Las Vegas and such, I think we have to be careful what we say as Christians because we don't want to say something that's not accurate. Um, some just want to grab the microphone and say wacky stuff like God judged Las Vegas or God judged Florida. And I think that's it's not, not accurate. It's not biblical. But what does happen or what has happened is because of the sin of mankind, the creation is starting to come apart. And I always say this, that God is the glue that holds society together. When a society pushes God out, they don't have the glue anymore. So anger and hatred and racism and division all start to fill that power vacuum because the glue has been removed. And I think, unfortunately, as we go through Isaiah, I look what, what they went through, and I'm seeing it in my own country. And I think as Christians, we need to be the voices of reason. We need to be the voices of calm. We need to be the voices of unity. Hopefully we practice that in the church, and we can export that to the communities that we live in. So we're going to look at this in seven parts, because um, today's message is experiencing God. Very, very powerful. Uh, if you've never been exposed to the Bible, if you're not a believer, boy, you're, you're really here for the right sermon because this is, this, this, you see a vision of God in this on the pages. And the black and white ink doesn't do it justice. So we're going to check it out. In verse 1, it says, this is Isaiah the prophet speaking. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I... Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim, these are an order of angels, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand, keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. I'm going to take this in two parts. It's a very powerful portion of Scripture. Uh, this morning, I think we're only going to cover seven verses. Uh, I don't want to miss anything here. I mean, <laughs> when you see something like this, you don't want to gloss over anything. You want to make sure everything's covered. So the first out of seven is experiencing God. So two events take place in close proximity to each other. Uzziah, the earthly king of Judah, dies. He departs. He leaves the throne. But Isaiah finds out that the eternal king, God, the Lord has always been on his throne. He never leaves. Uzziah, or he's also known as Azariah, he was a godly and prosperous king of Judah, and the people loved him. He reigned for 52 years. Now, whatever pastor's preaching in whatever culture has to do a little comparison. You know, in our culture, we have presidents, and they can only serve two terms. So if you have a president that you like, he or she, your favorite person, you only get, if, you're, you know, if, if, if it happens to get reelected, two terms, which is eight years. This king reigned for 52 years. So you could have been 50, 51 years old, and you could say, wow, my whole life I've been under King Uzziah. Because they would just last as long as until they got assassinated or until they departed the throne and their son or somebody else took, took their place. So for some, King Uzziah was the king their whole life. Sadly, towards the end of Uzziah's life, he was very, he was very smart, he was very prosperous, he strengthened the military, the economy was good. Everybody loved this guy. However, maybe because of all of his accomplishments, he became prideful. And we can see this in Second Chronicles and Second Kings. He entered the temple, which was only for the priest to be in, and he went in there to burn incense. He tried to usurp the role of the priest. He was struck with leprosy, and he ended up dying in that state. And what's really sad is, in Uzziah's uh, application, he had to die before people could focus on the Lord. And you know what? In, we, in our own lives, because we're sinners, often something has to die. When someone comes up to receive Jesus... God will, will let something slough off so that we could be matured. It could be our agenda. It could be our self-directed life. It could be our ways. You know, I'm set in my ways. Okay, well, when you come to the Lord, 
he might start to slough off some of those things that are not good for us. Like the master chiseler, he takes us as a lump of clay and he sees what he wants to make and he starts taking pieces off of it and fashioning it into something that he can use. Interesting. For many in Judah and many today, people prefer to worship a man or a woman instead of God because people are tangible. They can be touched. We can you know, ha- interact with them. To actually communicate or to have a relationship with God is a spiritual exercise. It's something that takes effort. It's something that takes time. It's something beautiful. But listen, we just live in that society. You know, microwaves, drive-throughs, going on Amazon and ordering. I'm just amazed how quickly they deliver your packages. You know what I'm saying? I like that too. I want to get that. Get it. Two days or, you know. But I'm usually cheap, so I'll wait like the 10 days for like the regular, you know what I'm saying? But where was I? Okay. But this is, this is our culture. Our culture is we want it, and we want it now, right now. You know what I'm saying? If our internet speed isn't fast enough, we call them up. They come to our house and give us like fiber optics and stuff, and that's what we do. But a relationship with God takes time. It takes effort. It takes sometimes going outside and just being quiet, not having everybody pulling and prodding us and just, you know, just spending time with the Lord. But for many, including in Judah, you know, ballplayers are worshipped, celebrities are worshipped, Hollywood people, late night talk show hosts. We focus on people in our society when we need to focus on the living God. And here was a great contrast there. Now, understand if you're new to the scripture, the prophetic books are not in chronological order. And you have to kind of put the pieces together to paint the picture of the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, especially the longer books. This, uh, Isaiah 6, appears in chronological order, was probably in the very beginning. Because this was what we could understand, arguably, the call of the prophet Isaiah into ministry. Into ministry. Now, again, many of the folks were probably acutely depressed at the death of Uzziah. Well, who's going to be? What if his son is a jerk? What if the next person you know, throws the country into a tailspin. These were all the questions that were swirling, probably. And at least for, for Isaiah, after Uzziah versus Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet, Uzziah was the king that passed. For Isaiah, no doubt he would have been encouraged by this experience. Now, again, if you're new to the scripture, if you're new to the church, you're new to the Bible, you right now are experiencing God through his word. And you know, it's amazing, we can be Um, just captivated by what we're reading, and I'm going to show some slides and stuff, but it's only ink on a paper. Could you imagine what Isaiah actually experienced? And let me just encourage you too, when you have a, a relationship with the Lord, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing, because He does speak to us. He does confirm things. He does guide us and help us in many ways. But Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God's Word, the Bible, has power. Has power. Jesus said in John 17.17, speaking to the Father about His followers, and He says, sanctify them, set them apart, these believers, by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Your Word is truth. You go to a church, doesn't have to be a Calvary, they're not, they don't use the Bible, it's not a church. Because the power comes from the Word. 
two out of seven, the descriptors of God and his surroundings. If we could just put up that one image, the first image. If you're familiar with the Bible, you kind of understand what the temple would have looked like based on the scripture and the descriptors and you know the priests would be in this one large room uh this i'm not sure if this might have been the holy of holies uh, the way the picture is set up but there was a, a main compartment and then a smaller compartment separated by a veil and the smaller compartment only the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle the blood of the uh, innocent sacrifice onto the mercy seat for the to atone for the sins of the people so when we look at this and we read the scripture and, and here's the, listen, let, we'll let the Bible scholars argue about whether this was, uh, you know, Isaiah being brought up to see some display in heaven because what was made on the earth was a copy of what was in the heavenlies or Isaiah actually went to the temple uh, and all of a sudden he sees the glory of God in it. And you can see elements that one or the other might be true. So I'm not, I'm not here to argue about that. I just really want to make the applications. So the descriptors of God and his surroundings. The first one is, is the throne, uh, the, the authority, the power, the omnipotence of God. And in the medieval times, in the Middle Ages, kings, European kings, and there were other dynasties like the, in China and different areas where the person who was at the top, whether the king or whatever you call the person, the emperor, they would have chairs. And it would be a seat, and it was ornate, and it was beautiful. You know, it's the, what preceded what? This was written some 2,700 years ago. And men try to replicate and make themselves important based on what they read in the Scripture. So God's throne is a picture of his, his authority, his power. He is the, the CEO, so to speak, of all of creation and the universe. He is the highest authority. Isaiah sees him high and lifted up. Exaltation. You know, today all authority is challenged. It could be teachers, it could be the judicial system, it could be the ecclesiastical system. We just live in an age where all authority is just being challenged left and right. And you know what? Some, they deserve it because they're not doing the right thing. However, the Lord is high and lifted up. In a world full of fakes, God is someone that we can respect and we can look up to always because he's always good, he's always merciful, he's always right. We also see the train of his robe. And this is a picture of glory, majesty. Um, I don't think that Isaiah saw God in his purest form. So whoever this artist is, it's kind of neat because he just sees a light but you see the train of the robe filling the temple. And this is an artist's representation. Because God is so perfect, he's so holy, and we're sinners. So as sinners, we can't see him in that perfected state and live. So he sees the accouterments of God. He sees the surroundings of God. But I don't believe that he sees him in his, in his form, in his full glory. And he's still seeing something glorious here. All right? The train of the robe is filling the temple. Uh, it fills the whole temple, according to the scripture. Everywhere Isaiah looked, it was a part of God's train. Um, and this was a picture of, I believe, denoting the omnipresence and the omnipotence of God. Wherever God is, he fills it. You know, uh, He was with the children of Israel. He was in the Holy of Holies. But he also was in China. He was in Japan. He was in Africa. 
because God is omnipresent. You know, it's not like God was over there in Jerusalem and something was happening and he missed it. You know what I'm saying? He had to send an angel to fly over there. Hey, what's going on over there? You know, God is, has control and, and knowledge of everything that's going on in his world that he's created. I love that about him. Uh, again, was this in the actual temple or was this Isaiah being brought up into heaven? Because we know two things. We know that the Apostle Paul, I believe it's in Corinthians, he speaks about being taken to the third heaven. And if I could paraphrase the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament, he said, when I was taken up to the third heaven, I mean, he, he's, he's taken up to heaven. God gave him a glimpse of... And I think you might ask why. I mean, these guys were pioneers and gals. God used women as well as men. And sometimes they had a really hard job as prophets. The people didn't want to hear what they had to say. And I think as a form of encouragement, God brought them to a place where they saw his glory so that when they went back to the people and they got beat up and spit on and, and um, harassed, they would always keep in their mind the images and the remembrance of the glory of God and saying, you know what, I'm just going to serve God. I don't care what these people do to me. You know, today we're racked by peer pressure. You know, even Christians you, it sometimes can be tempted to do the wrong thing because of their peers. But these folks were brought to a place where they always had that image of God on their mind. So the Apostle Paul was brought up to the third heaven. And in Revelation 4, the Apostle John is also brought up to see the throne room of God. And the, again, them trying to write it down and describe it, they're doing the best they can. He saw the sea of glass and the living creatures and, and there's, there's the glory and, and heaven and thrones and he's just blown away. But he's doing the best he can with a, a quill and a, a piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? Uh, three, we see this order of angels called the seraphim. Uh, Hebrew, seraph, im, meaning it denotes plural, plurality. Uh, seraphim means fiery ones or burning ones. If we could look at the second image. And again, artist representation. Here's Isaiah. You don't even see God at this, in this picture. But if, you know, the seraphim had six wings. With two, his face are covered. With two, he's covering his feet. With two, he, he flew. And they're amazing, mighty beasts, mighty uh, creations. They serve God day and night. They do his bidding. And people actually worship angels, which you're not supposed to. You worship God. And the angels you see are giving glory to God. It's like, don't worship me. <laughs> Him. <laughs> right there. Um, but, you know, it, they're, they're fantastic, incredible creatures. They're, they're sinless servants, but not on the same level as God. Remember, the ones that rebelled, Satan, Lucifer, and his crew, they were already cast down. They're not in God's presence anymore. Uh, with two wings the seraphim covered their face, maybe a sign of respect, maybe with God's, you know, dazzling, you know, I'm even having, I'm having a hard time explaining this. And I am because I want to do this justice. I want to do God justice. You know, I come up here with fear and trembling. I don't want to misrepresent my God because he's so awesome. Why does he use a sin, sinner like me? I have no idea but I'm doing the best I can. Um, are they dazzled by God's appearance? Why do they cover their face? Is it a sign of respect? Is it a sign of humility? With two wings, again, they have six wings. With two wings, they cover their feet. Is it because as they're hovering, maybe they hover too low that their feet might touch a part of God's train and out of respect, they want to make sure that their feet are tucked in 
with those two wings. Pretty interesting conjecture. So four of the wings have to do with humility of these seraphim, right? And with two wings, there's only two left, you know, a little simple mathematics this morning. Two, two, and two. With two wings, they flew. Why did they fly? That's an easy one. Angels fly. There's my answer. <laughs> He's, they fly. We see this in the scripture. Um, look at number four. What did the seraphim say? Again, you can see the Renaissance paintings of the, the, the cherub in Hebrew, the cherubim, uh, a different form of angels. And, you know, some artists decided that angels were little blonde, chubby children with little wings and ringlets. You've seen those on a cloud, you know, playing a harp. Uh, yeah, no, not quite. The cherubim and the seraphim were amazingly powerful. I believe one angel wiped out 185,000 of the Assyrian army. Somebody can correct me on that if I'm a little off, but I think that's the case. Uh, he wiped out a whole army, one angel. Okay? <laughs> so, number four, what did the seraphim say and what happened when they said it? Well, they cried or they proclaimed to each other. So, they're, they're, God is in the middle, it seems, and they're flanking him. And they're addressing each other, not him, they're addressing each other, but for Isaiah's sake, they're heralding who God is, right? We're, we're, we're just sinners, you know. We, the holiness of God is something that we have to understand and learn. It doesn't come naturally. They say, holy, holy, holy. What does that word mean? I'll tell you what people think it means. Um, someone who doesn't go to church or is not a Christian, they think, that church people walk around overly covered and, you know, kind of act a certain way and we do our little rites and rituals. Oh, they're such holy people. It's not what it means. Holy means to be set apart. There is none like God. He's set apart from his creation. He created us all, but, and he's majestic and he steps back and he's, he's in it, in the creation. He's outside of the creation. He answers prayers he listens to everything that we say he knows everything that's going on and one day the lord is going to come back to rule righteously from jerusalem and we look forward to that day so holy 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 saying it three times father son holy spirit most likely the earth is full of his glory um, there's a, a commentator david guzik that i like he said quote we are blind to obvious to the obvious glory of god around us end quote I would add to that that we also take God's glory for, for granted. You know, we'll, even the atheist, even the God-hater is enjoying right now God's creation. Some of the things he or she is enjoying is a beautiful sunset. Taking pictures, photography, the refraction in the sky, the, the different colors. Wow, God's handiwork. You know, we're taking, even in a sinful, marred creation, there's beauty here. So even when we mess up what God started, it's still amazing. <laughs> Wait till he redoes everything and remakes, you know. Have you heard? The heavens and the earth are getting a makeover. Listen, why not? Everybody's getting a makeover. But in the end, the Lord does a makeover, and it's going to be a glorious thing for us to behold. But i got to tell you, the older I get, the more I think nature is beautiful, not our technology. Nature, it's... It's amazing. So uh, just a few things. Uh, a sunset. 
On a hot day, a cool breeze. Oh, those are the best. And the, the sweat was it come out of the sebaceous glands, and it, it, it makes the skin wet. And then when a breeze comes, it dissipates the heat. And all of a sudden, this whole physiological system gives us a, a moment of a pause, of coolness on a hot day. You realize how much goes into that, that breeze? <laughs> Your skin and the water and the, and the um, well, like evaporation, that's the word. Flowers. My wife is a master gardener. She puts out the flowers. I raise the bees. <laughs> now, you're probably going to think I'm cuckoo, but it's okay. I have probably hours of videos of my bees pollinating plants, and they have the little barbs on their legs, and they're walking all over the flowers, and the pollen is static, the electricity, it's getting stuck to their legs, so that when they go back into the hive, they take it off their legs. It looks like weightlifter pants, like they're really big. And then they go into the hive, and they take it off, and they put it in a cell, so that's their protein for the winter. Um, you ever see a bee tongue? Bees have mandibles, but they also have tongues. Sometimes I'll open the box and they're sharing pollen or they're sharing sugar water with each other and nectar and one bee to the other tongue to tongue. They have little tiny pink tongues like a dog and they lap. So I could, listen, I could, <laughs> when, when I get aggravated by people, I go out to my beehive, you know what I'm saying? This, like, what are you doing? <laughs> my wife's like, where are you? Back here, honey, you know. I even put windows in the, in the beehives, so sometimes I don't disturb them. I just look through the window, and they say to me, can we have some privacy? But, you know, um, human anatomy. One day my son came home from phys ed, and he had these two papers of human anatomy, bones, joints, muscles, tendons, and they all had blanks. And he goes, they, 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 he gave me these two pages, but he didn't teach us anything. He went into his room. In five minutes, I wrote in, well, I got like the 95 on it, by the way, you know? <laughs> he goes, how did you know that? I'm like, I love human anatomy. Uh, take a course in anatomy and physiology and see the glory of God there. Uh, <laughs> the earth is set apart from other planets. You know, human beings, we just, we're so smart. We just keep going further out and further out. And we can't find a planet as inhabitable as earth. You know, it's, it's set apart in some ways. A baby born... How does that happen? Okay, I know how that happens, but <laughs> think about the gestation period and the, and the egg that gets fertilized and it, its implantation on the uterus and, and its, its, its system with the umbilical, umbilical cord and the placenta and how it, it, it feeds off of its mother, but it retains genetic information from the father. Folks, we, this stuff blows by us every day, but it's fantastic. We have a few new little babies here. You know, the womb and, it, and, and the amniotic sac and the cushioning uh, to protect it. And the, the mother is still able to eat and her organs move out of the way as the baby grows. Do we take God's glory for granted sometimes? I think we do. The doorposts were shaken from the voice of the seraphim. The doorposts were one of the strongest parts of the temple. And the seraphim shook them with their voice as, as an earthquake. I don't know if it was a 7 on the Richter scale or an 8, but they started shaking. The smoke, you know, 1 Kings 8. So we see, we see a filling here. The house was filled with smoke, very interesting. So you go back into the Old Testament in 1 Kings 8 when the ark was returned to the temple and God's Shekinah glory, his glory comes back into the temple. What happens is the the temple becomes filled with this smoke 
And the priests, they're overwhelmed by it. Like, I guess it's a portion of God's glory, and they actually run out of the temple. I mean, God is, an, is awesome, but his glory was just so amazing, the priests even had to run out of the temple. I think sometimes we don't realize who we're dealing with when we deal with God. Every Christian, every person should read Isaiah 6 because I think it puts everything back in the perspective. And I guarantee that in the last 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever you were thinking of before you came in here, your channel probably just got changed. You know what I'm saying? And, and Isaiah's channel got changed too. So let's, let's look at verse 5. Then I said, Isaiah is recounting this, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm destroyed, that word is translated. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He says, because I am a man of unclean lips, right? The mouth is a reflection of what the heart is. He's a sinner. He realizes that. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Five out of seven is the result of experiencing God. And the result is repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance just means change. I mean, there's a lot more to it. It has a deeper meaning, but we're confronted with God through his word. We're confronted with God maybe through an altar call. We're confronted with God through a, a stranger that's an evangelist and starts telling us about who God is. And what you start to feel is, you know what? You start to realize what the contrast is that I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And you can't help but think, I want to change. I want to please God. I want to get to know God more. What can I do to have a closer relationship with Him? It's an amazing thing. Did you ever, you know, when I was in college, I was young. You know, I had black hair instead of a lot of gray. Uh, I had the world at my fingertips. I had bought my first house in my 20s. I was very type A, very worked three jobs to put a down payment on my first house. And I was, I was depressed. I was getting a good education in a good school. I didn't know the Lord. I, I felt like my life had no meaning. And I, I kind of just wanted a change from myself. I just wanted a change of scenery. And I didn't know what that was until I actually came to a church that taught the Scripture. And my life completely changed from there. So repentance, it's, you know, sometimes the person that gets on your nerves the most is the one that you look at in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? But God can do a great work in anybody. God, you know, when we see God or we experience God or we look in the Scripture, I always say it's a spiritual mirror, right? There's a comparison that happens. We see our flaws because we see His, his uh, perfection, even John the Baptist, who Jesus says was one of the greatest prophets or the greatest prophet that ever lived. Why? Because he heralded Jesus. He, John the Baptist had followers, but when Jesus came, he said to his followers, he must increase, I must inc- decrease. Because they were wondering. Some of John's followers actually left and went to Jesus, which was natural progression. You know, There's a lot written about John the Baptist, but he knew Christ for who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was deity encompassed uh, in flesh. And he said very smartly is, guys, I know we had a good time. And it was just like a, a camaraderie. But I have to decrease. I have to attenuate. He, he's got to be, he's the one that you should be looking for. I'm just telling you about him. Boy, if if ministries would do that today instead of lifting themselves up, if they would lift up the Lord more because He deserves it. 
My wife often says, never take God's glory. And it's so true. Don't take God's glory. I don't want to take God's glory. I don't even want to think about it. Six out of seven is, look at what Isaiah said after the experience. He says, woe is me. Basically, I'm, done. I'm undone. I'm destroyed. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a dead man. I don't even know what's going to happen. I, now I know really who God is. I know I'm a sinner. And he, front and center, in a, in a fraction of a second, he's confronted with God's glory, his holiness, his sinlessness, his perfection, and his awesome power. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. Right? Remember the, the woes in Isaiah 5? Remember the woes, woe about this, woe about that? Well, before the woes on society, Isaiah pronounces the woe upon himself. Upon himself. Again, my, my experience with God was, you know, I grew up in a denomination where they didn't really use God's word. There was a lot of ceremony and stuff. I started going to a Calvary chapel and uh, I started hearing the word and my response and my wife was sitting next to me after a few months of hearing God's word, we just got up and we walked to the front to receive Jesus as a Lord and Savior and we never looked back, you know? Um, and I think the only thing that really holds us in our chair is our will, is our stubbornness. God is calling you through his word, respond to him. What do you have, you have to lose? This is God we're talking about. He said, I dwell in the midst, not just me, Isaiah said, I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Now, Isaiah wasn't snitching on people. You know, he wasn't a snitch. What he was saying was, this was a form of intercession. I'm a sinner. They're sinners. You know, what can I do? How can we make this right? How can we rectify this? And he says, my eyes have seen the king or the true king. Isaiah probably started out mourning the death of Uzziah. And then he sees the true king. And probably if you would have asked him halfway through his experience, what about King Uzziah? Who? I've seen the Lord, you know. And he says, I've seen the king. My eyes have seen the king. His focus changed. Where's your focus? Where's my focus? You know, and, and in part two, we're actually going to talk about what happens when we focus now on the Lord. What's the natural progression if we really know the Lord and experience the Lord? Hopefully it's the same response that Isaiah has. I think what's really sad is that, is that you know, there's billions of people walking around on the planet and they're horizontally focused. They're just focused on people, each other, my relationships, my finances, my this, my that, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they're not, they're not vertically focused. And one day, we, got, we die. And all that's going to matter is, did we know the Lord or did we not know the Lord? God says that his desire is that none, none should perish. He wants everybody to be saved. You know, that's why I guess you have pastors and Bible teachers to tell people this. Um, last two verses for this morning. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me. That must have been scary. He probably didn't know what he was going to do. Having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So seven out of seven is atonement or forgiveness. This is what God desires for everyone, every person on the planet. But he did give us free will. And some to the very end, to their deathbed, can be sitting in the hospital bed and still... I don't know why, rebelling against God. Just give it up. 
Because up to your last moment, God wants to forgive. He wants to cleanse us. He wants us to be in His kingdom forever. That's His desire. Now, understand there's repentance, then there's, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing. Um, so I'm going to go with Jesus Christ first and then go backwards because in the first century, Christ came. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that means anybody, would believe in Him would not perish eternal damnation but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that through His Son the world might be saved. That's the plan. Right? Jesus hung on the cross, died an excruciating death to which He could have easily come down because He had the power. If He could raise the dead could have popped the nails out and zapped all those guards but he didn't he stayed on the cross because because blood had to be shed for our sins that was the only way we could have true cleansing okay so that happened in the first century jesus christ died for the people that came before him and us the people that came after and even those that were there at the time in in the whole world he died for everyone and people ask me questions. He died for the Muslim. He died for the Buddhist. He died for the Confucianist. Um, you can retain your culture, but you have to worship God. You have to trust in Christ for your salvation. So there we go. We start with that. That's the gospel. Now this came prior to Jesus. So this, these things that happened were a, a prefigurement of the gospel. They were symbols. They were a picture of, of, of salvation, of atonement. But again, Isaiah and the folks before Jesus didn't have the full picture until Jesus actually died on the cross. So the seraphim picks up this live coal. Heat or fire was judgment. It meant judgment. Hell is filled with fire. The fire is never quenched, Jesus says, and the worm doesn't die. He probably got this coal, if it was at the earthly temple, from the brazen altar, which was used to fully consume the animal, animal sacrifice. It was a a picture of, of judgment for sin. And again, this was a temporary atonement until centuries later when Jesus came. You might ask the question, because I have a lot of questions. I read the Bible and I, just have, to, I have to have everything answered. Uh, you, you might wonder, well, if he touched his lips, why didn't his lips melt? You know, fire is detrimental to human skin. Because it really wasn't the burning of the lips that, was, that atoned for his sins. It was the concept... Um, he, his job wasn't to disfigure I, uh, Isaiah. I think it was really also to give him a great picture of what was going to happen when he preached Jesus, when he preached repentance. Isaiah had to understand all these concepts. Okay? And again, there was an atonement situation prior to Jesus, and Jesus completed it or fulfilled it. Right? He was the ultimate high priest. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was all those things uh, wrapped up into one. Let me leave you with this. There's a focus here that starts out on an earthly king, and it's, it's done purposely. Uzziah. And, and sometimes in American culture, we do the same thing. Our celebrity passes away, or our politician, or even our spiritual leader, and people, their focus goes away from God. Um, and I've seen this happen where a pastor falls into sin. And he's done. He's not preaching anymore. Some horrible thing comes out. And I hear, oh, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. Are you kidding me? 
did you worship Jesus or did you worship that pastor? Because we're all sinners. We're subject to falling. Where is our focus? And I've said this before. Right now, if, and you could do it. I'm not going to be, you know. As you look at me, between me and your eyes, if you put one finger up and you focus on me, you have two fingers. If you focus on your finger, there's two of me. <laughs> so you're taking my word for it. Nobody's doing it. That's, it's an amazing concept. And that's how we are really kind of created. We can focus on one thing at a time. And spiritually, we're either focused, one finger, <laughs> spiritually, we're either focused on earthly things or earthly people, or we're focused on the Lord. And quite frankly, I don't think that we can focus on both. The Lord is that special. If we're going to focus on the Lord, focus on the Lord. And everything else becomes a blur. You know, we all came into this building with some type of trial or grief or concern or anxiety or something. Maybe even if you're concerned about where the, our country is going and the culture is going. And hopefully in the last 30 minutes, your focus has changed. I know mine has. <laughs> I'm teaching this and my, my focus has changed. Folks, we live in a very plastic world. Today, we don't know what to believe anymore. People say things on TV. You know, I, I, I heard this expression, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. Because we see on TV a lot of doctored videos which try to craft our emotions and our mindset versus showing us the truth. You ever see a video in one plane and then you think you see what's going on and then you see another video that was taken and they show it to you afterwards. It's, it's 90 degree difference and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that. There's a depth issue that I didn't catch in the first video. You know, are we more focused on the media or social media or are we focused on God's word? When we experience God in his glory, it has to evoke a response. What is that? Well, next Sunday we'll see Isaiah's response, and then we'll talk about what our response should be. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.